Welcome to the Avenue Community Church's podcast. We are a family of Christ followers seeking shalom in Memphis. We pray that you are encouraged by today's message. And as you listen, may the word of God shape you to be more like him. What shall I say? Our pre, you know, or, or first of the year messages last week, um, just by trying to set a tone uh, for, for, for what effort looks like, grace-driven effort, amen. Uh, I love that, that Keller quote, that grace is opposed to earning, it's not opposed to effort. Don't ever twist yourself, like, right? When we, when we come to God and we bring our everything, we're bringing our everything. Um, he's got priority. Uh, he's where we start. He's in the middle. And Jesus has drop everything power. Amen. Amen. He's still got drop everything power. Um, and then, you know, last week, shalom in. And shalom in. Hey, man, that's it, man. Hey, it starts with, with encountering him, um, both being formed by his word um, and shaped by, by his truth, but experiencing him, um, uh, being in the space where he can communicate with us and strengthen us. And, and that's where we're headed. That's what we're, we're after. Um, but I'm getting ready to start a new series. And, uh, you know, I'm, uh, I, this is the oldest trope in the whole book. Everybody, you know, probably like, uh, mid, um, I don't know, mid, mid early 2000s, not even in the 2010s, it's like, I'm undiagnosed ADD. So, you know, this is not, shout out to those who really have ADD. We love y'all. I'm, no, I'm not going to disrespect you by saying I'm undiagnosed ADD. Uh, I'm not going to disrespect you like that. But I am scatterbrained. I do know that. That's not a medical term. I have the ability to say that. So, um, but I get it easily excited. Uh, and so I know, you know, in the fall, we spent the whole fall really, well, not the whole fall, um, uh, Romans 1. We got through Romans 1, so excited, ready to turn the page to Romans 2, but not yet, not yet, my friends. Um, I've got another uh, series for you before we get to, to Romans. Um, but it's one I think is important to us. Um, I, I think when I look at this room, um, I'm thinking, I, I look at a bunch of, you know, theological you know, I would say mixed breeds all over the place. How many of y'all grew up in the same denomination for all your life? That's, I'm looking at in an auditorium about 200-some people. I'm looking at about 15 people. So that's probably less than 10%, right? The rest of y'all, how many of y'all grew up with uh, two major denominational influences in your life? Maybe three. How many of y'all have been in all the denominations? You know what I'm saying? You done been Catholic, Baptist, Pentecostal, Lutheran, Anglican, all of them, non-denom, health, wealth. I got them all covered. Shoot, amen. Shout out. I like that. I like that. Right? Um, but I think uh, what is important for especially this house um, is, is I wanted to spend some time. I know when we come to corporate worship, y'all look and we have these bulletins and, and there's things on those bulletins. Um, and I just thought it's just important for us to kind of walk through why we choose to put the things on the bulletin that are on the bulletin. And so we're just going to spend a couple weeks really tapping into an understanding of our liturgy. Everybody say liturgy. I want you to understand what goes on behind the worship. Uh, and I also 
um, this is obviously a ragtag bunch because there's a lot of things that we're trying to do at once. We are trying to incorporate more written liturgies. Now you have an offertory prayer. I don't even know if you knew that, but what's your offertory prayer? Lord, help us to give faithfully, cheerfully, sacrificially for the glory of your name and the furthering of your kingdom, right? Um, there's a reason why I put that in there. And so I know some of y'all come from churches where, you know, hey, people sing for, you know, I took my, um, my children to a church. The church will remain nameless. But I took them to a church over the holidays. And so we were sitting in the audience and... Um, and one of my children looked to their mama and said, are they still singing? <laughs> Why are they still singing? Some of y'all come from places where, you know, it's just, hey, the major emphasis is on worship and the experience. Some of y'all come from churches where literally if you made a mistake and sneezed, the whole auditorium going to look at you. Right? Um, so we come from a lot of different backgrounds. So it's just important when we understand what we're trying to do in this house. And so we're trying to contextualize. We're trying to build something that's unique for, for this house. But I'm not trying to do that at the expense of tradition. Everybody say tradition. Which is not necessarily a bad thing. Um, and if you know anything about um, being a Protestant, then you know that um, we, all of us, everybody who ain't Catholic, you a Protestant. Say, you a Protestant, girl? What? Turn your left and say, you a Protestant? Yes, you are, right? If you ain't Catholic, you a Protestant. And so one of the things that your four Protestant forefathers were trying to wrestle against was that tradition had become such a staple that it kind of had elevated itself to the level of scripture. And so your old forefathers was like, hey man, Martin Luther and Calvin and those, those early reformers were like, hey listen, tradition is valuable, but it is not equal to scripture. Your tradition is valuable. It is not equal to scripture. Sadly, we have not all learned from our Protestant forefathers. And if you don't know history, you are very susceptible to do what? Repeat it. And so you know what some of you Protestant folks have done? You've done the same thing that they were fighting against in the Roman Catholic Church. You have mistakenly elevated your cultural way of doing Christianity. Why they don't worship like that? Well, that... Everybody ain't got to worship like that. Why they don't preach like this? Everybody don't have to preach like that. Be careful, child of God, that you don't allow your culture to take captive your Christ. Be careful. Just be careful. Just be careful. Just be careful, black Christian, white Christian, Hispanic Christian. Just be careful. Just be careful. What we're trying to do at the avenue is create a unique experience. Um, and I want to tell you about that unique experience. Um, what we have learned throughout the ages, especially as you study church history, is that church leaders in their architecture, remember I told y'all I, I was going on and off about that because I was, it was a couple weeks ago, I was like, oh man, I can't wait. Y'all, does anybody remember this? I was like, I can't wait for one day for me to have a really nice pulpit and it's going to be in the center and we're all going to be super proud of it. One of the things we know about our early church fathers was that even in the way that they constructed buildings, 
that they were trying to construct it in a way that communicated their values and that actually told the gospel story. So that there's a reason why the pulpit is in the center and not off to the side. It's because we as a people think the, the preaching of God's words is central to who we are. There's nothing we can do without hearing his word. We know that essentially um, Roman Catholics, when they offered the Lord's table and communion. They would stand in front of the table because they believed that they were uh, chosen by God to be intermediaries between God and his people. We know that one of the great reversals of that was when the Protestants started serving the Lord's table. Where did they stand? Behind the table to symbolize that there's nothing that stands and comes between God and his people. What I'm trying to tell you is that we come from a tradition of people who even in how they do things, how they've physically structured their building, they wanted to do it in a way that communicated gospel truths. What I'm trying to tell you is that the same thing that those people did with their buildings is the same thing that we actually do with our service. That actually... We're trying to build the service in a way that it's also shaping you. We're not just saying, huh, I wonder where to go good here. It's like, oh, no. We want the flow of our service to communicate something to you, to habitualize you so that, in the, you know, unconsciously you are being shaped by gospel grooves and by gospel rhythms. Some of us have made the mistake of believing that, hey, when we walk into church and we see these elements, it's like, oh, man, you know, that's just the stuff that happened before they preach. That's just the stuff that happened after they preach, right? Because the preaching is the most important part, but everything else is just whatever. And some of us have even demonstrated that the other elements are whatever, even by our attendance and engagement. Amen, Lyson Walls. <laughs> I'm going to be late long as I'm there for the preaching. Uh, Benny, cut me down just a little bit. If you're just coming for the preaching, you are absolutely missing what's going on here. Because what we're trying to do is there are things, there are spiritually nutritious things that are happening throughout this whole service that you need to be formed and shaped by, not just someone orating and giving you the word. And so, all that to say, we want our liturgy, liturgy just means our order of worship, we want our liturgy to communicate something to you, even the things we choose to include and even the things we choose not to include. It's supposed to communicate something to you. All right. So, as we get ready to take this ride, I want to start first by just telling you in this house, how we design our worship. Uh, me, Sean, and um, Lee were at Presbytery um, this week, and uh, it was funny. Uh, the, one of the questions they asked one of the candidates they were examining was, um, who's responsible for the worship of this? Y'all remember they asked that question? Uh, who's responsible for the, the construction and the overall direction of the worship of this house? And the senior pastor. So you should know, that's one of the things that you pay me for is at the end of the day, the last line of defense of what's happening on Sundays is usually my responsibility. I'm going to give you three things that I'm, I'm purposefully thinking every week when I'm trying to put together the worship service. Uh, the first thing I'm thinking about is engaging 
your emotions and touching your heart in no particular order. But I just want to let you know that I'm never putting together a worship service and I'm not thinking about this. Because you can learn, obviously, we told y'all that last week, a lot of information. But a part of Shalom in is the experience. And when Paul prays for the church at Colossae, he's like, yo, I'm praying for you. We haven't stopped praying for you. That you would be filled with all the knowledge and the wisdom and the understanding that the Spirit gives. He wasn't talking about strictly information. He was like, hey, man, there's a holistic, comprehensive knowing that, that you need to have to get God deep in you to abide in him. And so uh, I am thinking about not how you could just learn things, but how you could feel things. Because here's the thing. Do you know God is good? But do you feel it, though, Christian? I got to try to help you feel it. Because you could say it. If I gave you an SAT test on all the proper worship terms, you'd answer it correctly. But I want you walking out of here feeling it. How many of y'all walk out on Sunday feeling refreshed and encouraged? It's just you. It isn't just rarely, rarely a Sunday I don't leave out of this building, even after preaching some of the worst messages you've ever heard. I walk out this month. I show lamb and courage. I'm like, God is good. Right? I get to Saturday and I be on that last little drop of like, God. Where you at? Where you at, my boy? <laughs> and then I leave this place like, oh, yes, he with me. He with me. I need to engage my emotions lest we be guilty of falling into one of God's greatest indictments against his people. I see your lips moving, but your hearts are far from me. I need to engage your whole being, right? Come on, man. So I'm thinking about how to engage your emotions, touch your heart. I'm thinking about how to shape you through God's truth, obviously through God's word. Are the things that we are, the, the information we give you, is it faithful, right? And, and is it clear, pointing you to who we serve and what he's doing? I want to create space that you can communicate with God. We're not the only people. We, we cherish, we relish. I want to, I hope that this church creates more spiritually conversant people. Confidently, I was in my prayer closet. I heard for the Lord. I feel him moving me. I want that. And we want to create more space where we disciple you in that. Sometimes that means we're going to be quiet and let God himself speak. Lest we think we're the only people who can speak. I want you to engage with God. And last but not least, what we've talked about and I've kind of teased up today, that when we do our worship, we're trying to shape you by the overall grand meta-narrative of salvation history. What God is doing, his heart, his plan for his people, we want you to kind of keep being formed by that. Just listen. God calls us and we respond with praise. And when we behold his greatness, we are aware of our unworthiness, and we confess our sins, and we receive his pardon. And then with a glad heart, we bring our gifts to him, to our pardoning, merciful king. Being assured of our pardon, we offer prayers to him because we have access to him through Jesus Christ. Amen. And we receive his word for nourishment and instruction. And then we come to the table as a tangible reminder to our minds and our consciences of the benefits of our salvation. And then as we depart, we are reminded that we are not just being dismissed from the assembly, 
but we're being sent with God's blessing to do his bidding. That is the story I am trying to tell you every week. Whether the scriptures, chapter, and verses change, the way we order our worship is trying to habitualize you in that story every week. Not just for how you come to worship 52 Sundays, but how you live your life 365 days a year. That actually, this is what we do every day. We just do it together on Sunday. You hear what I'm saying to you? That this actually, we're trying to work out some muscle memory so that when you wake up on Tuesday with crust and coal in your eyes and you need to go brush your teeth, that you would be remembering, I have been called to worship. That when I leave my house on Thursday, I am being sent out into the world with God's blessing to do his bidding. I want it just to be rote and routine for you. So... Here's where we'll finish up today. It's got to be a brief sermon because we had a long, long pre-service. Pre, pre Every Sunday since we have been at this church, we've been called to worship and we've been sent out with a benediction. And then probably about four months ago, we added something special. Anybody know what it was? Hey, you better come on, Tammy. <laughs> Tammy said we added a charge. Everybody say a charge. And that's all we want to talk about today. What does it look like for us to be called to worship and to be sent out into the world with God's blessing to do his bidding? All right, first of all, hey, what's the call to worship? It's not just the first thing we do. It's a reason why we do it. Now, what are we going to do first? I don't know. Should I just start playing? No, man, we're going to call people to worship, right? Because we think that it's biblical. The call to worship is the explicit command from God to join the rest of his people in worship, acknowledging his greatness, his kindness, and his power. That's why we put it in there. And what you will see is one of our elders, one of our six elders, will stand before you, and it's not a sermon, but it is literally a scriptural reminder of why we've come here today. It's three or four or five verses that don't just say, it's not a story, right? We're not reading from Esther. We usually kind of pull from the Psalter because it's an imperative. Take, pay attention to the words that we're using. Hey, praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not his benefits. That's important because the only person who has the right to demand something of you is the one who's created you and redeemed you. So we use his words and we awaken you and say, uh-oh, I don't know what I was doing before I walked in here, but I know what I'm supposed to be doing right now. So we're called by God. And the reason why I think the calling is so important is also just so we could be reminded that God is the great initiator, right? God is the great initiator. He creates us in his image for his glory, right? Even in conversion, who initiates that process? Romans 3 tells us none of us seek him, actually none of us. Some of y'all like to give yourself a lot of credit. Yeah, I found God. He was hiding, but I went looking for him. No, sorry, baby. Never going to give it to you. I'm never going to give you that credit. You know we love to talk about you in the club, in the club, it's going down. And then all of a sudden, sweating and you drinking it up, doing it up and whatever. And then God said, whoop, in the middle of the club, in the middle of turn up, all of a sudden, this is dumb. Why am I doing this? You didn't do that. 
We call him the great hound dog of heaven who's about as efficient as you'll ever get. Ain't nobody he ever wanted who he don't have. And he comes. John 6 says, no one comes to the Father lest I draw them. So when we're called to worship, we are actually reminding ourselves that God is the great initiator. He's calling us into him. We even, we know love. Why? Because who did it first? He first loves. So he's the great initiator. And when we're called to worship, we're reminded this is actually not optional, right? This is authoritative. <laughs> we love this. Hey, what I say to do? Now, I don't never say that like that in my house. I'm sure that seems really strange and foreign. But you know, sometimes, you know, when the kids, they be trying to get on each other. Like, you're supposed to put the juice back. And then, and then, but then when daddy says, it's okay. People got to hear the little pitter-patter. I feel the scampering because the authority didn't say something. They know. Oh, that ain't. You ain't daddy. Wait till you're old enough to have multiple kids for them to say to each other, you ain't my daddy. <laughs> but they know. And when God calls us to worship from his scripture, and not merely just our worship leader, it's symbolic. Do you see what I'm saying? It's like, oh, daddy has rung the dinner bell. We need to start moving. This is not authoritative. This is not optional. Well, girl, I don't know. When the last time y'all um, <laughs> opted out of something your mama wanted done? Tell me how that worked out for you. <laughs> it's not real sure. But we're reminded, yo, this is our responsibility, right? This is what we were created for, and we didn't want to do it. And then that's what God redeemed us for so that we could do it. And now we have this great advantage of being able to do it. And that as a kingdom of priests, that our orientation is what we call doxological, right? It, we're oriented towards the glory of God. This is why we exist. Let everything that have breath praise the Lord. And I love, don't you ever get it twisted. You might be horrible at evangelism, friendship evangelism, cold evangelism, jiggleism, ism, ism. You might just be bad at it. But until God keep growing you in it, you know one of your greatest apologetics you have is that for 52 weeks you get called to worship and you go. And when your friends say, girl, why don't you, oh no, baby, I've been called to worship. Well, it's just church. Oh, no, baby, it's not just church. My creator and redeemer has called me to worship. I'm going to have to miss this one. Some of y'all might be struggling with your apologetics, but I guarantee you if you start letting, uh, being honest about what you're being called to, it'll probably help you in your evangelism, especially in a culture of expressive individualism that nobody does anything that they don't want to do you allow it to be known that you are under the authority of the one who's created you and redeemed you. Oh, baby, I, I have to go to church. Not optional. Because he, not Pastor Tim, God calls us to worship. And it's a we that's called to worship. And I want to just pause on that for just a second. And it's always a lot of dialogue. Like, our church is supposed to be evangelistic? Or our church is supposed to be for uh, the covenant body of believers? I say yes and no. There ain't no gathering of believers that we don't hope produces gospel fruit and transformation. But primarily, when God assembles his people, it's his people. 
It's the ones who are saying, yeah, yeah, he is who he says he is, and we're going. Greg Allison writes a book about the church and ecclesiology, and he, he describes the we. Everybody say the we. The us. I, 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 man, I get a little nervous when I start talking to Christians, and the first thing Christians start talking about, oh, man, everybody made in God's image. I'm like, uh-oh. I get that little twitch. I'm like, uh-oh. Because, well, wait a minute. I thought inherent to being a Christian is to come out from among them, right? And that there's a new we that exists in the middle. Like, that there's an in the world but not of the world, but it's not all us. Some of y'all never got quite comfortable with the we being a distinguished group. Like, everybody here is not going to affirm with us that he's our creator and he's our God. Some of y'all are still have more, I don't just, just be careful with me because we might have to have an extended conversation, but some of y'all go so hard on the church. Man, I just prefer to hang with my worldly, okay, okay, but I thought it was a we, us, and that us was a distinguished group, a called out group, not a perfect group, I'll give you that. Ain't nobody in this room perfect. Everybody in this room will eventually let you down. But if you lose a sense of the we, then I don't know if you quite understand what it means to be a part of God's covenant family. Because that term is not for the world. It's not for all image bearers. It's for the people who have accepted him by faith. So it's a we. And when that we hears the dinner bell, it don't matter who else still playing football, one more play. I can't tell you how many spankings I got for one more play. <laughs> Timmy! Oh, man. <laughs> and all my homeboys, how many of y'all was the homeboy and your mama was the strictest? My mom was always the strictest, man. So all my homeboys always had more leeway. They could go, they could ride their bikes more further places. So I was always the one who stayed in the most trouble. But I just knew that these were my house rules. And they are different. When we do the call to worship, that is our call for our people primarily. Those people who are united by their common confession. We come together. And we do a very specific thing, Psalms 100. Let's go back to it. Let's look at the specific thing that we do. We shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. We worship the Lord with gladness. We come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord, let's just pause. You got two verses, you got joy in both the verses, modifying the action, right? So it's not that you shout, you shout with joy, right? And then you're not that you just sing, but you have joy in your hearts. Now, I'm just trying to back up why when I put together the worship service, I am trying to engage your emotions. Because the bar is not just singing, but it's singing with gladness in your heart. Come on, man. 
and we're supposed to know something, that when we come together, we know that the Lord is God. We're not being convinced that he's God. We already know that he's God. It's he who's made us. We give him the, the benefit of being our creator. We give him the benefit of him, him having authority over our lives. We are his sheep. We belong to him. We're the sheep of his pasture. So we enter his gates with thanksgiving in our hearts and his courts with praise. We give thanks to him and praise his name. And then we declare something. And I think this is honestly, write it down. If you want to grow in your evangelism, just put, memorize verse 5. The Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. Like that's the thing. That's what we're trying to say. If you are struggling in your evangelism, just start with Jesus is better. Fill in the blank. Fill in the blank. Jesus is better than your boyfriend. He's better than your job. He's better than your career path. He's better than your mama cooking. He's better than making it pro. He's better than your sexual exploitations. He's just better, yo. Anybody in this room willing to say, he better. Jesus is better. Is anybody willing to stand to your feet with a hand clap praise and just say, Jesus is better. My God is better. He's worthy of my praise. He's worthy of my life. He is worthy of my devotion. He's worthy of my tears. He's worthy of my effort. He's worthy of it all. He's actually worthy of it all, yo. For from him all our things, for to him all our things. Who deserves the glory, y'all? Oh, my Jesus, my Jesus, my Redeemer, my Creator, and my friend. He's worthy. Nobody else but people who have been called by the Lord Jesus affirm that. That's the thing we do that is distinct from any other people group on the earth. He's worthy. And so part of it is, as important as it is to obey the call to worship, I think just as important as it is to obey it to get here to worship, it's probably even more important or just as important to prepare for worship. Being called to worship is not being called to attend worship. It's being called to worship. Nobody's checking roll here. Who here? No, when you get here, we come in to worship. And I want to challenge you. Stop putting so much on the liturgist, the worship leading. I'm telling you, this place will explode. To the degree that we have made up in our individual minds, I'm getting ready to go to worship. And I didn't been thinking about getting ready to worship for a couple of hours since yesterday, and I'm ready to worship. I'm not waiting on Akandanadam to prime my pump. I came on ready. My kinfolks would say, I'm sitting on ready. I'm sitting on it. I'm sitting on it. Let me loose. I want to worship. I just, uh, David, that be Psalms 22, I can't wait to get in the assembly with my brethren and praise him. I can't, I'm looking forward to it. Does anybody be looking forward to coming to worship? Oh, man. 
There's finally one place I don't have to worry about is my music too loud. I'm finally one place I don't have to worry about if I'm offending somebody with my praise. It's finally some place I can just let it go. I want to worship him. Come on, man. You're not just called to attend worship when we're here. Come on, how's your attention span? Do you have an attention span for the things of God? Or do you find yourself growing weary? <sighs> Eye roll. <sighs> Phone check. <sighs> I'm just saying. How many of y'all, listen, I told, um, I was talking to um, Gina. I went somewhere to minister and I told her, Gina, I said it was so crazy. I literally, I preached for like 45 minutes. And then I asked them, I was like, are y'all ready for me to stop? They said, no. Preacher man, you got the things of God. Tell them to me. I got time for that. 8.30, 9.30 at night, we were just going. I was like, gee. I said, I haven't been in that kind of environment in a while, and I just needed that for my own soul. I think I told y'all that story before. In old Puritan churches, they would have an hourglass in front of the pulpit. Puritan pastor would preach. The hourglass would go over, and then the congregation would turn it back over. You got more time, man of God, because that's the only thing we want is what he has. I'm not pining for us to have extended service, but I'm just saying you have to ask that question to yourself in your own heart. How often are you coming and being called to worship and you are not preparing yourself for the next thing, but only I want to respond and obey to worship God with my brothers and sisters, and that's the only thing I want to do. How often, child of God? And are we losing attention for the things? of God. So we're called to God, and lastly, we're just sent out with a blessing. We are a missional people. I love that. There was just so much, so much just inherent, um, um, a part of being a part of Memphis Christian culture, I think through downline and just faithful ministries in Memphis, when I moved here, it was just like, man, golly, these people really serious about, everybody was talking about Matthew 28 and Acts 1 and down, the discipleship and all that. I was like, yeah, okay, shoot, this, everybody, they bought something, okay? And I love that. And I think we can never lose the sense of that, that we are a missional people. Greg Allison goes on to say that missional just means we're identified as the body of divinely called and divinely sent ministers to proclaim the gospel and advance the kingdom. You know, we usually, when we start talking about the priesthood of all believers, we're talking about other things, but we're not talking about, oh yeah, I have the power and authority to go as an emissary and as an ambassador of my kingdom on behalf of my king. But that's every one of us. We have that responsibility and call. And that's not the special Navy SEALs unit of us. That's all of us. You know, sometimes we do that with prayer and evangelism. Any sign-up list, them going to have the least amount of names on it. Who going to be on your prayer ministry? Who going to be on your evangelism team? They good at that. I'm not. I'm sorry, friends. You don't get to opt out of praying. 
And we will never, we will never lessen or take off from over you the burden that we all share to testify to the good news of Jesus. We might stink at it, but we ain't going to never drop the gold from 10 feet to 6 feet. We going to keep it up there until we be dunking that basketball. Amen, Becca. (laughs) (laughs) And so what do we do? We started, Trey gave us Isaiah 6. And so as we walk out of this room every week, we heard a voice from heaven saying, whom, will, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And then I said, see that? We're doing something. That wasn't just because we were just trying to find something clever to put in. We're trying to remind you every week that when you leave this place, you got a job to do. And we're going to keep calling you to it until we live into it. Our charge reminds us that our Father is still seeking laborers, and we are to respond to that call. That's why we put it in there. When we're being sent, a part of that sending is the benediction. Benedictions are just blessings that are typically the last element in corporate worship. And I'm trying to rediscover a theology of blessing in this house after God created man and woman and all of his creation says and he commanded be fruitful and multiply and said he blessed them he commanded israel's priests to place his blessing over the people number six and 22 and i love this as jesus's final act before he ascended into heaven you know what he did he blessed his people so when we give you the benediction we're trying to do a couple things Benedictions are blessings that teach us to desire, to wait for, and to expect God's favor on our lives and especially our mission. Our benedictions are a reminder. May your favor be upon us and around us and in us and all that beautiful song. What can you do without God's blessing? What can you do? Nothing. Nothing. That benediction is in there for a purpose. It's in there to remind you as I'm being sent out into the world, I have to have God's blessing on my life and my ministry. As a matter of fact, you know the last words in your Bible, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. It's a blessing. It's a benediction. You need his blessing. So, how do we land the plane? Just start by saying, as believers, I think I'm within my means to say that it's probably our primary call, our central call is worship. It's not song service. It is comprehensive, 24-7, 365 days a week, worship. My thoughts and my actions pointing towards God, his goodness, remembering his greatness. That is what I'm supposed to be doing. You see that in the scripture. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Set your mind on things above. That he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. That my central task in life is to live in a vertical orientation. But here's the thing. 
if that's your primary call in life, to live for the glory of God with a singular focus, then you know the little devil be busy. If God calls you, then the devil's distracting you. And maybe let me just challenge you that before you immediately start thinking about things to tinker with in worship and in life, maybe first start with who you know, who's most invested in getting your eyes off Jesus. I can surely tell you this, it's not your volunteer worship team. It's not your pastor who's trying to figure out how to run a company, love a wife, be present with his children. It's not him trying to prepare bad sermons. Who's most invested in you keeping your eyes off Jesus? It's the devil. And maybe before you start injuring your brothers and sisters, maybe you start there first. But because of Jesus, because of the finished work of the cross, we can resist the devil. We can say, hey, I know who's trying to make me fuss and fight with my husband on the way to worship God. I know who's doing that. It's not my husband and the way he's wired. I know that the devil's stirring, and he would love nothing more than the one, two hours I designate to be in the presence of my king and his people who's most invested in messing that up. And I'm going to stop taking it out on my wife and my children, and I'm going to start getting busy in prayer on my knees, putting a stranglehold on that devil. Come on, man. It's too much friendly fire. We know who wants us to not utilize this space well. We know who it is. And why are we going to beat each other up and let him run scot-free? We need to start tagging him. And because of that, don't you ever settle for monotonous worship attendance because you know that's not God's will for you. So be more prayerful. Get more serious about your preparation. If something's not hitting and it's not clicking, okay, man, maybe there are some logistical things. Hey, man, maybe I don't like it when Pastor Tim wears the banana yellow three-piece suit looking like T.D. Jake's little cousin that's distracting me from worship. And maybe y'all can send me a little email. We can talk about that. But maybe more importantly, what does your Saturday night look like? And are you taking the time to get yourself prepared so that from, from 7.30 to 10, it can be a, you can be worshiping your way in here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we just put the cherry on the cake. But what's your Monday look like? What's your Tuesday? All of it flows together. Child of God, you've been called to worship. You're being sent out into the world with God's blessing to do his bidding. Let's not lose sight of that. Let's be shaped by that. And let's see our God glorified in all that we do and say. Would you stand with me? How many of y'all believe that Jesus is at the center of it all?